Today I'm talking about Shiva. Um, I was gifted with the opportunity to swap talks with Edward and I decided that this was a talk that I'd get to learn something about because my view of Shiva was fairly limited. Um, so I'm going to begin by telling you that Shiva is one of the three gods of the major Hindu um, triumvirate, I'll say. Vishnu is the creator. No, my brain is already off somewhere else. Brahma is the creator. Vishnu is the maintainer or sustainer. And Shiva, Shiva is the destroyer of illusion. And so that's going to be part of the theme of what I talk about. But I'm going to begin with a story from ages and ages ago. The Hindu gods relish and appreciate anyone who does spiritual practice, even demons. So many, many ages ago, one of the demon lords practiced a lot of austerities, and in return, Brahma gave him a boon. Whenever a drop of blood, of his blood, spilled on the ground, a thousand demons would spring forth. You can possibly imagine what came to the demon general's mind when he realized what his boon was. He and his armies of demons set out to conquer the world and destroy it. Eventually, what was happening on the earth got the attention of the gods, and they realized that they needed to stop the destruction of the world. And so they called upon Durga, who in the Hindu tradition is the mother goddess and shows up in a variety of forms. They told Durga, you've saved the world in the past, so you've got to do it again. And since that was true, she said, all right, I'll go and save the world again. She gathered the weapons of the gods and she proceeded to go onto, into the world and started cutting down all of the demons. Eventually, she had destroyed all the demons, and the only demon left was the demon lord. So she started to attack him, and blood began to spill. Thousands of demons started arising, viciously charging at her and laughing with glee. Being the mother goddess, she began contemplating in a part of herself, and she couldn't stop the fury that arose. More and more and more anger, as every time she struck the demon general, a thousand more demons came to attack her. She became so angry that she transformed into her aspect, Kali. I don't know how many of you know Kali. She is one of the most ugly images in the Hindu pantheon that you can imagine. She has ten arms, she's quite skeletal in form with wild black hair, bedecks herself with skulls, and is the epitome of fury and anger and retribution and all those things which were actually necessary to stop the demons from destroying the world. She used her talents on purpose toward that. She hollered, she stared, and all those thousands of demons that had arisen from the blood, gone. And 
because the demon lord was no longer protected by all of these demons, she got to him, captured his blood as it was spilling, and eventually killed him. Holding him up, holding his corpse up above her head, she began a victory dance, absolutely delighted that she had achieved what she wanted to achieve. The gods noticed, and there was a problem. In the Hindu tradition, when the gods dance, often worlds are destroyed. In fact, that's how when the cycle of the yugas comes to an end and a new world is about to emerge, Shiva destroys the current world. He dances, the Nataraj image. And so here was Kali who came to save the world, so caught up in the delight of her victory and the joy and the revenge and all of that, that she lost sight of what she was called there to do, save the world, and danced in victory, beginning to destroy it. The gods got more and more concerned, and so they called on Shiva. Here's where Shiva finally comes into the story and said, Durga, Kali, is your consort. Do something about her. So he shouted at her and said, stop! And she continued to dance. He yelled some more, and she continued in her victorious dance. Finally, he realized there was only one thing he could do to get her attention. He threw himself under Kali. She still continued to dance. Thankfully, after some moments, she realized that her husband was under her feet, and she, in her dance, was killing him along with destroying the world. And so she stopped. Standing on Shiva, she came back to herself and to her purpose. She woke up. What I'm going to be talking about the rest of this time today is what you stand on, what you come to that brings you awake when you're in a trance, when you've forgotten your purpose, when you're way beyond that core of yourself that is so essentially important to you. So that's where we're going. I want you to consider what brings you back to your capital S self. Here are some examples of how you get away from that capital S self. First is reacting, not responding. That's probably one you all know pretty well. Someone says something to you, someone doesn't pay attention, someone does something, and everything else falls away. Your button's been pushed, you're triggered, and you just go into an autopilot mode of reaction. In some weird ways, already outside of yourself, addressing whatever's happening out here, rather than staying aligned with who you are. That's probably the most common, in some ways, the easiest way to get outside yourself. Another one that I believe I'm recovering from um, is busyness. 
There's always something more to do and do and do, another and another and another. And I'm so so caught up in my doing, my checking off to-do list items, that I forget what my priorities and my core tasks are and what's really important, what matters to me. Because by gosh, I'm going to keep busy and just keep doing stuff. Just keep doing stuff off-center again, away from who I am. A third one is it's kind of tricky to explain, but I'm hoping that you may have had experiences of this. All of you have different things that you do throughout the day, often on behalf of other people, at your job, in your home, with friends. Now and then, perhaps, You're doing what you're doing, and you notice how much people around you appreciate what you're doing, are delighted with what you're doing, maybe even need you to do what it is you're doing. And perhaps now and then, that external audience, that external approval so strongly gets your attention and feels so good that you stop listening to the voice that is saying to you, but this isn't really yours to do. This is something that isn't bringing joy and a sense of wholeness to you. Maybe it did originally, but it doesn't anymore. And yet because of that accolade out there, which feels good, at least it feels good to me to get that, I forget to pay attention to what's going on inside me. I suspect that that may be something that happens to you as well. Those three ways, reacting and busyness and listening to external reasons for doing things, are all ways that we forget who we are we lose track of that essential alignment within ourselves. So before I talk about antidotes, I want to wander into one of my favorite things to play with, the meaning of words. And for this talk, I want to talk about some prepositions. So are you ready? First... Imagine what comes up in this, for this phrase, standing in water. Standing in water. For me, I see myself as an individual, as separate, noticing the water that I'm in, perhaps its temperature, its depth, whether there are ripples or waves. It's an experience that I have of something else, standing in water. Next preposition, standing for water. What comes up when I say standing for water? For me, one of the things that I recognize is what we say a lot in this teaching, Science of Mind, that we want to be for things, not against them. So, for example, we are for equity and against injustice. We are for peace, not against war. 
and so on and on. I recall some years ago, the Native Americans in North Dakota were protesting the completion of a gas pipeline. And when they met with outsiders and the press to talk about what they were doing, they had a very interesting explanation of what they were actually doing. They said, we're not really saying no to the pipeline. We're protecting the water. We are water protectors. There's so much more power in standing for the purity and the sacredness and the essentialness of water than simply saying, no, we don't want that pipeline here without highlighting the why, the power, what they were actually standing for. So that's the four preposition. Now comes the one that we're actually talking about, standing on water or standing on Shiva. When I wrote that out and started to think about it, standing on water, there was kind of a weird sense of awe and strangeness that came up and almost immediately I leapt to Jesus walking on water and the story of him and the disciples. And it actually has something important to say about, the, about what matters when we stand on something. In Matthew, the story goes something like this. Jesus was strolling or pacing along the shore of a lake, thinking about things. And at some point, he started approaching his disciples who were out in a boat in the middle of the lake. <laughs> the good old disciples saw this and panicked not knowing what was happening. Peter, being a little more gutsy, called out and said, if you're Jesus and not an apparition, ask me to go to you across the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter stepped out of the boat and began walking across the lake to Jesus, who was standing in the middle of the lake, now closer to the boat. Suddenly he realized it was kind of a windy evening, and the water was a little bit rough, and, oh, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And began to sink into the lake. Some of you may remember what Jesus said. This version is from the inclusion, inclusive Bible. And let me find it exactly as it was said. Jesus saw him sinking and said, you have so little faith. Why do you doubt? Peter was standing on the water and then he lost faith. He doubted what he was doing. He doubted the truth of what Jesus was about. I don't want us to explore that particularly right now, but I want us to consider those elements of our values, of our core beliefs, of what really matters to us. How strongly are we standing on them? How strongly do you stand on who you are and what you are?
It makes a world of difference. So I promised that I'd give you some antidotes to when you're caught up in being something that you really don't intend to be for whatever reason. The first is that you must know yourself. All of the other tools that I'm going to talk about are centered in the fact that you have an awareness of your purpose, what matters to you, who you are, and that you accept and value yourself. That you're not in that odd limbo of needing to fix and polish and improve so that you're not really in yourself. You're in that someday I'll be self. It's absolutely essential that you learn to know and trust and love yourself. Some years ago, Howard Thurman, who was a remarkable Renaissance man, um, a minister, a professor, a civil rights activist, a poet, all kinds of things, was speaking at the graduation of the 1980 class at Spelman College. He talked with them about listening for the sound of the genuine. Here's what he had to say. There is in every person something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine. There is in you something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. Nobody like you has ever been born, and no one like you will ever be born again. You are the only one. If you cannot hear it, you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. You are the only you that has ever lived. Your idiom is the only idiom of its kind in all the existences. And if you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life spend your days on the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. The sound of the genuine is flowing through you. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all the noises that are part even of your dreams and your ambitions when you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you. Because that is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you don't have that, you don't have a thing. Cultivate the discipline of listening to the sound of the genuine in yourself. It's always there. It's always speaking. Always guiding and loving and present. We must listen. In getting to know yourself, there are a variety of ways you can do it. I recently was watching a a webinar where there was an interview with Stephen Lewis. He leads and instigates change and healing in faith communities, higher education, and social justice entrepreneurships. He is that amazing. Um, Any of you who would like to see more of him, I can give you a link to the interview. He has something he uses in organizations called CARE, 
It's an acronym, and it's actually something useful, not just in big institutions, but in individuals and groups. Here's what CARE stands for. C, create hospitable space for the inquiry. That's beginning from a place of love, courage, and trust. A, ask self-awakening questions. Curiosity inquires without expectations or judgments. The R is for reflect theologically together. He is a minister. What that means is basing the reflections on spiritual values and practices. And it is Stephen's belief that such reflection is best done in community. And the E stands for enact the most faithful step. Know what is genuinely yours to do. Create a space that welcomes inquiry. Ask awakening questions. Reflect from a spiritual perspective. And enact the next authentic step. That clarity is your wake-up call from the dreams of who you aren't. Here are some Shiva tools to bring Kali back to center. And they also work in the whole exploration of who you are. First, practice, practice, practice. We say that for a variety of reasons. This morning, what I want to focus on is that the more you practice, the more natural being in prayer or meditation or mindfulness or walking in gratitude is natural. It's not just something you do and, oh my gosh, now what? I better pray. It's a part of who you are each and every day without it's being a should. Oh, it's 10.30. I should meditate by now. Oh, it's time for bed. I have to get that gratitude journal done. No, 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 no. It's something that comes naturally to you as a blossoming of that inner aliveness. Second, When I'm caught up in something, whether it's worrying about what's going to happen or berating myself for something I did or didn't do, there are times when I can't get out of that hamster cage. I just keep running, running, running. That's when friends, colleagues, and others, and their ability to remind me of who I am are so important. Chandra mentioned in the opening announcements, we have after-service prayer. And I invite you on Zoom or in person to take time for that laser glance into the truth of who you are. I also invite you to consider one of those spiritual coaching sessions. There is a fee. It's sliding scale or fixed. You'll have to ask the practitioner that you want to meet with but it's worth your time and resource. It can be life-changing and life-affirming. 
third thing begins with prayer. Offer up whatever it is that's challenging you. Even if it's a non-five-step prayer like, help, I'm so angry at my relative, I don't know what to do. And so it is. Done. <laughs> then take a break. Go out in nature. Go get some coffee in a coffee shop. Call a friend. Take a bath. Do something that totally shifts you out of the hamster wheel. Just, just actually, here's my invitation. Do something that playful that isn't productive. <laughs> playful and not productive. We are not meant to be product-focused people. We are meant to be joy and freedom and aliveness beings. So, one of the best antidotes to being stuck? Take a break. If you feel guilty, set a timer. Say, okay, I'm only going to take a break for 15 minutes, but right now, I'm goofing off. <laughs> it's amazing what that simple shift in perspective can allow. And at some point, guaranteed, something will come up in your mind or in seeing something or hearing a song or whatever that's a response to that brief prayer that you offered be offered before you took that break. I promise that. If you take the time to pay attention and be present. So those are three tools for being who you are, for remembering your purpose, for aligning with that incredible beauty within you. Knowing yourself, loving yourself, accepting yourself, your amazing, unique, only one ever on the planet self, just the way you are and just the way you are not. The sound of the genuine is how Howard Thurman describes that listening to your inner voice and letting it guide you. It is the source of our life, our creativity, our wisdom, our joy. In closing this talk, I want to share an exhortation from our founder, Ernest Holmes, found in Ideas of Power. Listen carefully to what he has to say. Do not, please, wait till you know more Get more spiritual, get a bigger understanding, and feel more weak in the stomach. <laughs> Please do not wait. The garden that isn't planted won't grow. The seed that is not sown will not flourish. The word that is not spoken cannot act. The prayer that is not said and accepted cannot be answered. Remember this. You are the person. This is the place. Now is the occasion. Right here is the time. The word is in your own mouth. You are good enough. You know enough. 
You are spiritual enough. You are good enough. You know enough. You are spiritual enough. Each and every one of you. Each and every one of you. Our community thrives in the light that shines forth from each one of you. And we amplify that light together. Let yourself shine. 